Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, in the aftermath of the mass shooting in Nova Scotia, the Prime Minister promises swift action on gun control. We were uh, on the verge of introducing legislation to ban assault-style weapons across this country. Uh, it was uh, interrupted when the pandemic uh, caused Parliament to be suspended. Uh, but we have every intention of moving forward on that measure and potentially other measures uh, when the Parliament returns. The Liberals and other parties vote down the Conservatives' bid to have Parliament sit in person several times a week. We do not understand why all the other parties have decided against oversight and transparency during this crisis, but we will be here today making the arguments and standing up on behalf of those Canadians who want to see their democratic institutions continue to function normally. What does it mean for the federal picture as some provinces pass or approach a peak in COVID-19 cases? All chief medical officers are trying to be extremely cautious at this time. Even if the outbreaks are slowing down, now is absolutely not the time. Uh, to sort of change our current stance. We need to keep going on our public health measures. It's Tuesday, April 21st. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Susan Delacourt, columnist for the Toronto Star. Good morning, Susan. Good morning, Mark. Do you think that measures will be brought in to make gun control stricter in this country after what happened in Nova Scotia? It was the deadliest mass shooting in Canadian history, but I know there are people who are saying that even if the gun control rules are tighter, that these kinds of events can still happen. Yeah, um there was something yesterday that made my ears perk up, and it was when the Prime Minister, in his briefing and talking about the shooting, asked the media not to use the name of the man who had done all the killing. And that was something that was also done with enormous effect by the New Zealand Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern, uh, back in 2019 when there was the huge, uh, the massive shootings in New Zealand. Uh, the reason my ears perked up was, first of all, those two get along together very well. I was told that's probably his best friend on the international stage. The other thing she did after the Christchurch shootings was to immediately bring in gun control legislation, like immediately, within six months. And it's been touted as an example by gun control advocates all over the world that New Zealand uh, is a model of swift response. So I, I wondered yesterday when the Prime Minister was following in the pattern of Ardern about naming the victim, whether the next step was gun control. Uh, that being said, when the Prime Minister and, and Bill Blair were asked about it, they um, they said when Parliament returns. And as we know, uh, when Parliament returns is kind of an open-ended yeah. question at the moment. Sort of a loaded question, too, and we'll talk exactly. more about that in a moment. Yeah. But um, the interesting thing about that is that uh, uh, perhaps, and I, I don't want to look at this through a cynical lens, but um, it's, it's almost as though now there's a pattern that if, you know, when there is a shooting like this, gun control advocates have to use it as an opportunity to tighten the rules or change the rules because that's their only window. Right. And that exactly. When, yeah. yeah. And, well, the, the whole gun control movement here in Canada really took off in the wake of, um, the, the polytechnic shootings yeah. in, uh, in 1989, you know, that, um, some of the same voices you are hearing now for that are either 
you know, families of the victims or or um, or the people who who sort of forged that path in Canada. And and we saw in the 1990s, for good or for ill, uh, certainly the Chrétien government picked up on that and and ran with it to their political peril. They paid a high political price for that. There was a really interesting. Um, press release that went out yesterday from, it's called a group Doctors for Protection from Guns. And uh, it was the first link I had seen, and and some of the the names on there are people who we were very familiar with in the gun control movement, Heidi Rathjen, Wendy Suke, Um, a lot of the the prominent gun control advocates have linked up with doctors, and they actually linked what it happened in Nova Scotia to some of the troubling issues we've seen around guns uh, during the pandemic, you know, uh, especially in the United States, um, gun sales are way, way up. We also know about mental health concerns, et cetera. And it was the, the first link I saw, and I don't think it's going to be the last, of putting together what is going on in Canada right now, this strange, surreal situation with a mass shooting, and I, I, I don't think we've heard the last of that. I think, I think there, we we know so little right now of of this, um, this man who went on the rampage, and, and even we don't even know the death count yet, or what kind of guns he used, and he also set homes on fire. So, um, we're not really sure what laws or what measures we could have taken to prevent this or what red flags he was raising in in advance of this. It sounds like right now, none. But yes, an incident like this is going to... Uh, we are going to be hearing more about gun control. The interesting thing is whether we're going to hear about it, this being um, a partly a cause of, of an enormously weird situation going on in the country right now. All right, let's turn to yesterday's sitting of Parliament and the the kinds of sittings we can expect in the future. There was a vote yesterday on a Conservative motion to have Parliament sit more often. It was defeated. Uh, The score was low by parliamentary standards for a vote uh, that would get this much attention, Uh, but that's because of the relatively small number of MPs who were in the House uh, for social distancing reasons, of course. Um, what do you think about this whole debate over how often Parliament should sit and the conclusion that was reached yesterday that effectively it will sit in person once per week? Well, this was, I, I actually wrote about this yesterday, too. Um, I, I found the whole conversation, one, interesting, and two, kind of baffling. I, I think that the Conservatives were definitely pushing for more sittings, which was upsetting. I heard from some opposition politicians over other opposition politicians over the weekend who were quite upset by the prospect of of Parliament sitting as often as the Conservatives wanted to because it naturally fires up um, a, a machine that probably shouldn't be in use right now. And I, I think you saw the Liberals... NDP, Bloc, and the Greens all agreeing over the weekend that they should just have one sitting week and do everything else virtually. And the Conservatives, for whatever reason, dug in their heels. The thing that I found baffling about it, first of all, it's interesting that the same polarization as on climate change or other issues was there. Conservatives on one side, every other party on the other. The other thing is, I don't think this has been 
reported a whole lot, but the opposition politicians are on the phone every day with government and government officials getting briefed on what is going on. Um, Elizabeth May sort of referred to it uh, in one of the previous sittings, is they are doing long phone calls and accountability sessions every day with, with the politicians. A lot is going on that we don't see, and I'm not sure why question period needs to be add to that, added to that except for the stupid theater of it. And I don't think Canadians are in a move at all to see question period as normal at the moment. I'm, I, that may be overreaching, but I just don't... I, I'm not sure why the Conservatives were acting as though accountability could only happen in question period and be that Canadians were in any mood to see politicians fighting. I don't think they are. All right, let's turn to the actual battle against the coronavirus. And we're hearing news that Ontario's infection rate has peaked. And so already in Ontario and in other provinces, people are turning their minds to when some of the social distancing restrictions will be relaxed and how that would happen. Are we ready for that discussion? And do you think people are, as much as they want to get outside and get back to normal, are people ready to take those steps or are they nervous about the risk of acting too quickly? Well, I actually have a, an interesting on-the-street view from that. I was in the a, a, a tiny lineup at my local grocery store yesterday when someone got out of their car and delivered the news to the lineup that, uh, that Doug Ford had said the numbers had peaked. And you heard exactly in your question there the reaction from people. You heard, yay, hooray. Uh, they, they all sort of cheered, not a mass cheer, but uh, general good humor and... and upbeat mood about the finding and then an immediate but i'm not taking off my mask i'm not uh you know i don't know i'm nervous i think what we have seen settle in is people are policing themselves on that and that's going to be hard to shake and doug ford was saying yesterday this is way too early to talk about getting things back to normal he was talking about the phase thing I'm not sure that's a huge selling job he has to do with the province. I, just judging from my grocery store example, that I think Ontarians and probably the rest of the country are going to be really careful about this. We've learned to be careful, and uh, unlearning to be careful is going to be a, a long process too. And we're, you know, we're not through it yet. I think you'll hear that today from all over. That we're. If anybody is watching the United States news, states like Georgia are ready to declare open for business, but uh, within days. Um, but I don't think you're seeing that mood here in Canada. I think we are being very cautious. All right, we'll see what today brings. Susan, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us today. Thanks, Mark. That's Susan Delacourt, columnist for the Toronto Star. We do not understand why all the other parties have decided against oversight and transparency during this crisis, but we will be here today making the arguments and standing up on behalf of those Canadians who want to see their democratic institutions continue to function normally. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In Maclean's, Andrew McDougall considers the importance of Parliament and the scrutiny it provides in Canadian public life. McDougall writes, If anyone had told you a few years ago the Conservative Party of Canada would be leading the charge for accountability via the House of Commons and the Liberals resisting it, you would have been kicked out of the club and told to stop drinking. If the Conservatives are smart, they'll use this period to do a proper grown-up job of holding the government accountable with none of the usual shenanigans or rhetorical overreach. In the Montreal Gazette, Clifford Lincoln 
argues the coronavirus crisis is showing us the fragility of governments and institutions in responding to it. Lincoln writes, they are still scrambling to cope and find answers, some performing more effectively than others. Perhaps there is a lesson here for all of us. The first is to be conscious of the dangers of taking ourselves too seriously. Second, we should reflect on our very concepts of government, geared as they are to electoral success. The average life of a government is four years, and the actual operative time is significantly less. Platforms, policies, and promises seldom dwell on long-term considerations. In the National Post, Bo Zheng argues portraying the coronavirus as a war may do more harm to patients and their families. Zheng writes, References to combat are pervasive in healthcare, from fighting a cold to battling cancer. These metaphors are often used as a way of providing motivation and hope. I hope that framing the pandemic this way highlights the gravity of the situation, but managing a medical illness is not the same as fighting a war. When people die from an illness, it does not mean they have lost the battle. For some, a dignified death may be the most optimal outcome. It should not connote a battle that was lost. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. As usual, the Prime Minister and others will give their daily briefings on the coronavirus crisis. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Tuesday, April the 21st. Tune in to CPAC and CPAC.ca throughout the day today for coverage of the coronavirus crisis. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.